0: Hey now we are getting over and i am the silver king adam silverstein here to lead you through these hard times with episode 224 of your favorite professional wrestling podcast that's right getting over is back and we are coming to you on a Wednesday for a change as we break down everything that happened over the last week across AEW and Tuesday on NXT. The scheduling of our shows has been thrown into a bit of chaos due to AEW rescheduling Dynamite from Wednesday to Saturday, obviously with football over the weekend all the way through Monday when we have Raw, and then Tuesday on NXT. There isn't Really uh, a day that's created where it makes sense for us to do a show. We're certainly not going to do one over the weekend while football is going on. So therefore, unfortunately for this week and next week, we do have to delay um, the AEW talk until we kind of have that opening on Wednesday. We're here. uh, We're going to talk Rampage from last Friday. I just actually finished watching right before taping the show. The buy-in match featuring Daniel Bryan going against Minoru Suzuki. Very excited to talk about that. Of course, we will talk AEW Rampage from Saturday and NXT from Tuesday. We have a loaded show for you, as always. So a reminder that the Getting Over Wrestling Podcast is all about defying. So please, why do you guys even make me ask anymore? Stop being marks for yourselves and go back to being a mark for me. Be marks for this show. Head over to Apple Podcasts. Drop a five-star rating and review tell people why they should listen tell them why getting over is your favorite wrestling podcast those reviews are very very important as are those five star ratings and we'd really appreciate it also if you don't use apple podcasts i know a lot of you use different uh, apps or different systems software uh, spotify you know amazon google etc if you can rate us on there you know please do uh, five stars we are all about the five it would be great to get your ratings and reviews we love your feedback as well Uh, which you can give us on Twitter at Getting Overcast. And it's a great week to follow us with WWE Crown Jewel coming up on Thursday. We will have pre and post show polls. And of course, we always release our new podcast episodes on Twitter. Uh, That way you guys know when they're live and able to be listened to, available to be listened to. So yes, join, join us on Twitter. Follow us at Getting Overcast. As always for these AEW and NXT shows, of course, we do them in two parts. Uh, and the timestamps in our episode description will let you know which part is happening when. So if you uh, hear the show start off with something that you're not interested in listening to, whether you're only an NXT fan or only an AEW fan, all you really need to do, hit that episode description, find the timestamp, and just fast forward to that spot. But of course, as always, I hope you listen to the entire show. Uh, the Silver King is running solo today because of the craziness with AEW schedule. I do hope to have vintage Chris Vanini back with me for next week's AEW and NXT show. He will be with us on Thursday afternoon for the WWE Crown Jewel Instant Analysis. As far as today's show goes, let's get started with NXT. We'll run through it pretty quickly. Not that much happened. Uh, we'll do also do a very quick preview for NXT Halloween Havoc, which is happening next week, and then we will talk the AEW buy-in, Rampage, and Dynamite all in succession. So, Starting with NXT, we had Carmelo, Hayes, and Trick Williams. They opened the show celebrating Melo's North American title win. Uh, Melo ran through his career, established I don't miss as a catchphrase, and said his strap is now the A title on the show. Johnny Gargano came out saying he's lost the way with Austin Theory on Raw, Indy Hartwell married, and Candice LeRae at home pregnant. So he's been looking for what's next, and that's going back to being the best wrestler in the world and winning his title back. Trick said Indy's been in their DMs all week, and Dexter Loomis showed up in the ring, nearly putting him in silence. Mello left his title at ringside, and Loomis held it ransom, daring him with a drawing left in a locker to go to a haunted house next week on Halloween Havoc. I did think that part was a funny segment. As far as the part in the ring, it was a strong interaction between a top tier rookie in Mello and a top tier veteran in Gargano. Parts of it fell flat, especially the end of the opening segment, which is kind of fizzled out. But this match is going to bang whenever it happens. And Gargano now appears to be fully back as a face, which is great. And I forgot to mention this as we started the NXT breakdown here, but I'm going to talk about everything else that happened on NXT and then give you a preview of Halloween Havoc afterwards. So things like Tommaso Ciampa and Braun Breaker, we're going to talk about at the end of this segment to kind of preview Halloween Havoc. That also allows us to kind of give a timestamp update next week ahead of the show So people can just listen to that preview if they so choose. Uh, Next on NXT, we had Odyssey Jones against Andre Chase. Odyssey was wearing an all black singlet and not the checkered color gear. He looked much better and more serious this way. Jones mostly dominated Chase and hit a standing frog splash for the win. It was a nice, simple match. The right person went over, but no real takeaways other than Chase's gimmick works with these video packages. Uh, I don't think it works in the ring. And I'm gonna be curious to see if they can figure that out. We had the Creed brothers against Imperium in a tag team match. Malcolm Bivens with Diamond Mind said the Creed's deserved a tag team title opportunity, but we're not going to sit around waiting for it. The Creed's did a cool back and forth fireman's carry move before Julius slammed Brutus into Marcel Bartel. There was a sick spot where Fabian Eichner caught Brutus flying with the fireman's carry, fully squatted him, and then rolled forward in a slam. Julius hit Bartell with a gut-wrench powerbomb. When Kushida and Ichimin ran down, Bartell caught Julius distracted and bent him backwards for the 1-2-3. MSK then attacked and annihilated Imperium with sick offense as the stupid NXT fans booed the faces once again. Uh, These teams worked extremely well together due to their technical mat wrestling style. The finish was disappointing. It was a total cop-out to, I don't know, protect a pair of rookies? Like, these guys need to lose sometimes, Right? There would have been no harm in them losing clean to Imperium, an established team that were the former champions, but it was pretty good and the MSK offense was awesome as usual. The fans are just infuriating at this point, it's stupid. They are literally hurting the brand they love by booing the most popular and best tag team in NXT. Uh, Jiro later scared Kushida while he was taking a piss at a urinal, saying he was excited to team with him. Kushida wanted to be style strong, he wanted a makeover, but Jiro instead emptied his suitcase and convinced him to go back to the future with his old gear. It was actually a fun little segment interaction between the two. We had Kyle O'Reilly and Vaughn Wagner doing a workout together in the forest where they chopped trees and stuff before building a campfire and drinking some beers with O'Reilly coming around to Wagner as a partner. Whether you like Wagner or not, and I'm not a huge fan of his yet, I love that NXT is taking the extra step to develop tag team chemistry instead of just throwing two people together. It's the difference between something like The Bar and Dirty Dogs. Both teams, very good, don't get me wrong, but fans had a reason to buy into The Bar, whereas The Dirty Dogs were kind of just thrown together, and we came to accept it eventually. And if O'Reilly does leave NXT in a few months, which is possible, there's the reports that his contract was supposed to be up at the same time as Adam Cole's, but Cole's was earlier than it was expected. Whole whole bunch of confusion there. But if his contract is up in early 2022, him putting Wagner over in a split to end their team is a nice way to go out, to put over a rookie. So I don't know what's going to happen. I don't know what the plan is. Something worth noting though. Uh, Joe Gacy said in a brick walled room, maybe NXT isn't a safe space after all, but he won't let himself get triggered. He suggested working together as a coalition and put his hand up to the camera, which I thought meant he was going to be working with us as the fans, but instead the camera panned and it was revealed Harland was on the other side of some glass as the one listening to Gacy's pitch. And he put his hand up to match Gacy's. Again, another really solid bit of character development showing the formation of a team or a mentor-mentee type of relationship. And these two do work well together from a look standpoint, even if the vibe is uh, pretty concerning, at least for me. I I know they're not purposely going in that direction, but the way Harlan Parker Bordeaux looks, with a shaved head, with all his tattoos, the type of clothes he's wearing, it gives off a certain vibe that I'm not all about. Uh, we had Core Jade against Electro Lopez in a singles match. Santos Escobar was with Legado Del Fantasma, cursing out Swerve for being a lucky son of a bitch who escaped him and NXT. Then he told Swerve next time he wins a title, wherever it is, Escobar is going to be there to take it from him. It was a good way to give Escobar a chance to speak on it, given Hit Row left and the feud basically ended largely unfinished. Lopez began speaking when Jade's music immediately cut her off. Cora caught her a couple minutes into the match with a small package and got a three count that was billed as a shocking upset. I'm sure we'll get a rematch in a week or two, but this sucked. We didn't get to see them work. We later saw Legato attack Trey Baxter backstage for his girlfriend's upset win. Uh, So that sets up a couple matches for the future, I guess, between that, that faction and then some combination maybe of Santos Escobar and Electro Lopez with Cora Jade and Trey Baxter. Uh, Tony D'Angelo fought Rue Fang. That was really this dude's name. Rue, R-U, Fang, F-E-N-G. Uh, D'Angelo gave him a noogie while he was in a headlock. Then he hit the Northern Lights suplex into the Fisherman's neckbreaker combination that he does for the win. The Paisan looked good out there, let's just be honest, right? Uh, D'Angelo later denied knowing where Mark, that producer of Lash Legend show was. he Just didn't know where he disappeared to. He bribed the interviewer and told everyone, hey, forget about it. Uh, The crowd popped huge for this. Maybe I was too hard on this at first. You know, I can admit when I'm wrong. Uh, I still think I'm dead on balls accurate, uh, as they would say in My Cousin Vinny about um, LA Knight. I still don't think that's working. But Tony D'Angelo, I think I'm wrong. I think I was wrong about it. Uh, The crowd is 100% on board. It's actually working. I think I was of the mindset that it was going to be just completely a stereotype. And it is. But I think it's a parody of a stereotype. And because they're doing it in that way where they're poking fun at it, I think it's working. Long term, is he going to be able to last his whole career with this gimmick? Absolutely not. But to start off in this new NXT, it's working. And I was wrong. Simple as that. Uh, Briggs and Jensen fought Legado del Fantasma. On their way to the ring backstage, the faces were attacked by Legato, but the match went on anyway. Legato continued to cheat when possible, and Raul Mendoza hit an awesome glider splash onto Briggs for a near fall. Jensen got the hot tag, ran through wild, and took a shot at Escobar. Legato then caught him with their still unnamed, like, a year, 18 months later, Russian leg sweep, kick combination finisher for the win. As with the Creed Imperium match, it was annoying to me that NXT felt it needed to give rookies and out for the loss with a pre-match attack. These are pure rookies in Briggs and Jensen. They can lose to Legato, an established tag team. I don't understand what NXT's doing with all of this. Like, you don't need to build up the rookies strong. They're rookies. The entire point is you pick one at a time to build up and get over and then, you know, move them into being a veteran, move them into being one of those more dominant people. But for now, Briggs and Jensen, they should be a jobber team. There's no reason for them to be strong here. Or to try to look, be built strong, uh, just have a good match. Losing a good match is all you need. You can be impressed with them by what they do in the ring. But it was a good showcase for Legato. LA Knight fought Grayson Waller. The winner of this match was going to be named the host of Halloween Havoc. They traded offense, but Knight hit Blunt Force Trauma for a rather easy and fast win. I'd like to see veterans get more easy wins like this over rookies. It plays into the last point I was just talking about. You don't need to treat rookies with kid gloves. If someone is going to be put over, it needs to most of the time be a veteran. Uh, And for LA Knight to be the host here, I mean, if anyone was going to do it, I guess he's the right one. He's as good as anyone and he can actually cut promos. So it will be interesting to see how LA Knight factors into the more cheeky, you know, Halloween Havoc atmosphere that at least we got last year. We will see what NXT gives us this year. And then lastly, there were vignettes for Sola Sakoa on the streets. Duke Hudson in the poker room and another for the person burying stuff ahead of their return. Duke looked like a porn star wearing a gold vest with fake gold chains. It was just so ridiculously bad. Like, I don't even know why they're trying to do this gimmick. He did have a good line about calling him the house because the house always wins. So as a nickname, that's pretty good. As a bigger dude, that would work, I guess, for him. And then Sokoa, the youngest Uso brother, he said he will debut next week at Halloween Havoc. So obviously that's interesting. So that was everything from NXT that was not directly really related to Halloween Havoc. Let's actually get into our NXT Halloween Havoc preview. We'll go over each match, uh, who I expect to win along with what happened this week on the go-home edition of NXT. But just to recap, we have LA Knight as the host, Sola Sokoa making his debut, Mello and Trick looking for the North American title in Dexter Loomis's haunted house, a superstar return who we expect to be Dakota Kai, as I said on last week's show. And the card, which I'm going to go break down for you right now. So we have the Women's Tag Team Championship, Io Shirai and Zoe Stark against Toxic Attraction and Indy Hartwell and Persia Parada in a triple threat match. So on NXT, we had Shirai against Jane versus Parada. The winner of the triple threat got to spin the wheel to figure out the stipulation for the match. Jane took an awful dive, fully Brie Bella style early, where she didn't fling herself enough, she didn't trust it. Her feet got caught on the middle rope and she fell on her face outside the ring. We did not hear from her again. Um, Though she did stand up to take Io Shirai's moonsault that came afterward, but that was it. Uh, Shirai hit Parada with a German suplex and a perfect moon over moonsault for the win. Shirai's spin of the wheel landed on a scare way to hell ladder match, which is definitely going to be a good stipulation. Um, With the stipulation though, it kind of makes it sound like they're going to change the titles. Uh, so I would kind of expect Toxic Attraction to win this match. As far as what happened on NXT, Prada was way too green to be w- working with Shirai one-on-one for that length of time, given J.C. Jane got hurt. Obviously, that was unfortunate. But yeah, I think when we get into this match, it'll look like Shirai and Zoe Stark are winning. Uh, presumably, St- Stark will be on the ladder. Toxic Attraction pushes her off. They go win. Shirai is angry at Stark that she's the one who lost. And then Shirai and Stark start a feud. That's... My guess on what's going to happen at Halloween Havoc, uh, is it predictable? Potentially, yes, that is predictable. But you know what they say. Sometimes predictable things are good. Sometimes predictable things are good. Also, on that note, I do hope Triple H is getting better, recovering, and we get to see him or at least find out that he's back at work sooner than later. Um, You know, we should take into account, by the way, that this whole NXT 2.0 relaunch has gone on without Triple H. Backstage running things. I mean, maybe he is from home, or, you know, I'm not exactly sure what he's doing from a rehabilitation standpoint, but he's not there doing the day to day work that he was in NXT previously. So that is something that we should all consider. But I do hope, of course, that he is doing well. Uh, Tag team championship for the men. We have MSK defending against Imperium in a spin the wheel, make a deal match. Um, We discussed what happened on the Go Home show with MSK and Imperium earlier. As far as this match goes, I I really don't know what's going to happen. I do think. If I knew the stipulation, it might kind of tip me off into the direction I think it's going to go. But look, I mean, I know the NXT crowd boos MSK. It's ridiculous. You know, we've gone over it so many times on the show, I don't want to do it again. But they're the best tag team in the division right now. Uh, You could make an argument that they could be one of the top four tag teams on the main roster right now. Not purely in terms of talent, but excitement. You want to see them in the ring. They have that same excitement that we used to get from the Hardy Boys back in the day. They're just unique, high-flying, daredevil, risk-taking type of dudes. Could Imperium win here? Sure. But as we saw with their last title reign, it was boring as sin. I like Imperium. I like the two guys as wrestlers. I like the entire group, Walter, the whole deal. It's not really working for me on NXT television in the United States. And you gotta admit they're boring. Like, it's just... They're sticks in the mud. They don't really give exciting promos. MSK is exciting. There's a whole division of tag teams now. Grizzled Young Veterans are still out there. I think GYV needs to be the team to take the titles off MSK. Therefore, I have to go with MSK retaining the titles here. Toxic Attraction winning the women's, MSK retaining. Uh, we'll go to the Women's Championship, Raquel Gonzalez versus Mandy Rose. Spin the wheel, make a deal. Also, a video package aired ahead of the this match with Mandy saying she couldn't understand why someone who looks as good as her gets passed over so much. There were a lot of gratuitous shots of her uh, physically, not that I minded uh, by any means, but still I'm just saying. Uh, Gonzalez countered by showcasing her training regimen and her absolute dominance of the division since she became champion. It was a bit odd overall, but it did a good job showing the dichotomy between the two women. As far as the match goes, it's really interesting, right? Um, If you're going to have Toxic Attraction win the women's tag team titles, it would make sense for Mandy Rose to come and win the women's championship here, especially given there's going to be a stipulation in the match that we don't know. Raquel Gonzalez, as of today, doesn't really have anyone that has her back. Mandy Rose obviously does with Toxic Attraction. So if it's any type of match where no DQ rules are involved, she can have the help and do a three-on-one beatdown and take the title off Gonzalez. The question then would be what happens to Raquel Gonzalez. You would expect if she was going to lose the title, she'd get moved over to the main roster. I guess that's still possible. Uh, as a free agent, they can you know, do whatever they want. But it doesn't seem like that's in the cards right now. You already have Zoe Stark and Io Shirai. And we think soon Dakota Kai and Ember Moon sitting there as veteran women in NXT waiting for opportunities. By the way, not to mention Kaylee Ray, who got brought over to the United States and I think has been on TV... Two times, I think one match so far. Uh, What the hell are they doing there, right? So this division is stacked and to make Mandy Rose the champion of a stacked division, that creates some questions for me, though most of the other women out there are faces. So that would create plenty of competition for her. The other thing is Mandy Rose winning the title, you're really going away from old NXT where the women's champion was not so much a work rate champion, but a top tier performer. Mandy you know, has a good look, certainly has improved in the ring over the last couple of years. But, you know, if you were ranking the women's wrestlers in NXT, she's probably not in the top 10 in terms of in-ring, but potentially she's the champion. So that is certainly going to be interesting. I will predict Mandy Rose wins the title. Uh, I don't love it. And I don't think it's the right booking. I don't think it's the right decision-making going forward for NXT, but that is at least going to be uh, my prediction here. Uh, That leaves the NXT Championship match. Braun Breaker challenging Tommaso Ciampa for the NXT title on NXT this week. We had Tommaso Ciampa and Braun Breaker team up against the Grizzled Young Veterans. Braun said he's seen the Can They Coexist stuff before and basically ran down how the faces normally get into it with each other. It briefly got contentious. Ciampa called Braun champ and Breaker smiled. This was all backstage. Uh, We get into the match. Braun was dominating and refused to tag Ciampa. So Champa tagged himself in and took a lot of punishment. Braun later wanted a tag, so Champa did so with a slap across like the face, neck, and chest uh, area. And Braun came back in to the ring, hit a belly-to-belly suplex, then did his big press power slam for the win while taunting Champa through the finish. They did a face-off as NXT went off the air. I was mixed on this entire thing. On one hand, NXT had to make Braun look strong ahead of an NXT title match. The guys only had like three matches ever. On the other hand, why were GYV the opponents here when you have Breaker and Champa just kind of teaming up out of nowhere and GYV should be the number one contenders or a top contender for the NXT Tag Team titles? They shouldn't be losing to some combination of Champa and Breaker. I know the main roster does that, but that's usually two main eventers and Breaker's not there yet. So for me, I didn't really like how that was booked. There were so many other teams they could have used in this spot. The stuff with Champa and Breaker was good though, the face-to-face and the interaction. And the match for Halloween Havoc should be a lot of fun. I think going into Halloween Havoc, a lot of people believe NXT is just gonna use this to give Breaker the title, put him over, and that's the direction they're going in NXT. I just do not think that's what's happening. Um, I think that would be one step too far from an extreme change standpoint of what NXT was and what it then would be now. Because if you're going to do that, and you're going to take the title off Champa, you're basically saying the veterans in NXT are completely worthless. There's no reason for them to be there other than to serve as tools to get over the rookies, which doesn't make sense because a number of the veterans in NXT are really good and could be or should be even on the main roster or hopefully will be. Sooner than later, once some of these rookies develop talent-wise into being the standard bearers for NXT, which is the cycle of how, you know, it used to work back in the day on the WWE Network. So because of that, and I just cannot fathom a situation where they would change the title like this, especially with Champa just winning it back, I'm going to go and predict Tommaso Ciampa retaining the title. My guess is it's a very good match. Breaker looks like he has Ciampa beat, and Ciampa gets him... From a veteran, you know, wild standpoint with a crucifix pinfall or a small package or something like that, that way Breaker is allowed to look strong. But ultimately, Champa wins this, retains the title. Mandy Rose wins the women's championship. MSK retains the men's titles. And Toxic Attraction wins the women's tag team championship. Those are my predictions for NXT Halloween Havoc. So with that, let's get into AEW. We have a lot to talk about. The buy-in. Rampage and Dynamite, we're all going to do it together in one long segment. If you want to hear our commentary, our thoughts, our analysis about the SmackDown, AEW Rampage head-to-head, the ratings, all the consternation coming out of that, please go back to our WWE show on Tuesday, the Crown Jewel Ultimate Preview. At the start of that show, we talk about the SmackDown and Rampage stuff here. We're just going to be talking about what happened on television. So let's start with Brian Danielson versus Minoru Suzuki from the buy-in. The crowd was insanely hot for this one, as one would hope and expect. Danielson got in a bunch of kicks and nearly got cattle mutilation. Suzuki came back with some really hard kicks to the chest for a near fall and briefly a Fujiwara armbar. Danielson put Suzuki in the little lock, but Suzuki found the ropes. They traded big blows and knocked each other down, then screamed in each other's faces and traded more big blows. There were a bunch of counters until Danielson finally hit the running knee to win in 20 minutes. This was an absolute frickin' banger. Guys, that was rad. I am totally good. I'm up with the smoke, right? Fist me, boys! Yes, da- Daniel, Brian, yes, Brian Danielson. This was awesome and you deserve to be excited about it. Uh, look, I'll tell you, I don't go to the AEW shows in Miami because the venue is a really long drive from my home and there's no easy public transportation. Plus, we're still in the pandemic, obviously. And with this show in particular being on a Friday, and then of course Dynamite being on a Saturday, I work in football, just not able to make it. However, if I had known Danielson Suzuki was going to be booked for this show, I would have made an exception. It really hurt me as a wrestling fan to be within 90 minutes of this event and not be able to see it live, especially after watching it. This was a great, strong style match with Brian and Suzuki being awesome foils for one another. I went 4.5 stars and an A. From last Friday until this show that we're taping right now, it was the best match of the week, better than both the WWE women's matches and the Finn Balor versus Sami Zayn match. I said that SmackDown uh, had better wrestling than Rampage, and I stand by that. The three matches on SmackDown, the three big ones, were better than the three matches on Rampage. However, this buy-in match Better than all six of those matches and better than the Charlotte Flair-Bianca Belair match that we got on Raw. Just easily the best match of the week. It was also really cool to see what Brian can do with someone in the Japanese Strong style realm, obviously aside from Shinsuke Nakamura, but someone in AEW or obviously hopefully future soon uh, in New Japan. I'd love to see this guy against Okada and Obushi and all these other guys that we want him to wrestle. This was like a taste of it. This is a taste of what's possible. And it was really, really cool. Uh, so we'll move over to uh, Dynamite. It was the main event, Brian Danielson against Bobby Fish. There was a great avalanche falcon arrow from Fish for a near fall uh, that he then moved into a knee bar. The crowd did CCC chants for Brian because it was Miami. And a lot of people speak Spanish in Miami. Uh, while Brian was doing his kicks, uh, before he tapped out Bobby Fish with the heel hook. I went point. Uh, Five stars, I guess, and a B for this match. I didn't mean to be quick on the breakdown, but it was a really short main event, and a lot of it happened in picture-in-picture during commercial break. Also, for the rest of the match, there weren't that many other spots worth mentioning. So there was nothing wrong with this, but in comparison to the Suzuki match, I mean, it it was just, you know, it didn't even compare. There, there's no way to put them in the same category. 3.5, 3.25 stars. It was, it was a fine match, a fine main event. It had no storyline relevance whatsoever. A Hangman Page, cut a promo about being the new number one contender, failing to live up to his promise of being the first AEW champion and losing himself as a person afterward. He said the one thing he kept and grew along the way was the fans, and then did a rant about how everything he's done is cowboy shit, including getting back upon the horse and winning the chip to give himself this opportunity. Hangman said he knows the fans still believe in him. He believes in himself for the first time in his career. He promised to give his full cowboy shit at full gear while trying to win the AEW title. This was a great promo top to bottom, and I'm mentioning it off the top here because it was easily his best in AEW. It was a main event promo in every sense of the word, and I loved how it was cohesively put together. The only thing that's a little odd for me when it comes to the page and the storyline is he doesn't really seem to have grown as a person when it comes to like the alcoholism. That was such a huge part of the story It seems like he's still drinking. And are they gonna give him the championship while he has not been able to cut that out? I'm not saying that I'm against alcohol or that there's a problem. You know, Steve Austin chugged beers and he was the biggest star in professional wrestling. A lot of people would say maybe ever. I don't mind the paid drinks. I'm talking about, they had an alcoholism storyline going for this guy. And it's just kind of over, right? So it's almost as if that was dropped maybe because he became a parent. I, I just can't put two and two together in that regard. Other than that, which is a little bit of a nitpick, but I do think it's a fair criticism. Other than that, this was, in my opinion, the best thing on Dynamite. And that's not selling the rest of the show short. I just loved this promo so much. I thought it got him over exceedingly well. And he truly, truly looked like a main eventer. We had Malachi Black face Dante Martin. This was the opener of the show. Black had a great sell on a Poison Rana by Martin, who added a springboard cannonball and an insigiri. Black came back with a Meteora, Roundhouse Kick, and a German Suplex for a near fall. Martin took Black off the top rope with an Avalanche or a Karana and sold an injured knee that Black worked on early in the match. There was a botch with a springboard moonsault. That was okay. Black randomly released a single leg crab. I have no idea why he did it. Maybe he cramped up or something? Not sure. Uh, Black then dodged a springboard and hit the Black Mass with a slow cover for the win. And then as he was walking up the ramp, Black gave Martin a nod of approval and respect. This was a fantastic match and opener. It was a bit too spotty for me, but there w- was a consistent story and the crowd got really hot for it. I went 3.5 stars in a B for this as well. I liked how Martin had a black patch around one nostril as a result of the black mist. That's where it hit him. But it was removed before he did a backstage interview later in the show. And I thought that was... Strange. Why wouldn't it stay there and grow, just like Alistair? Uh, sorry, Malachi Black's. Uh, you know, black eye is growing a- across his entire face. So I thought that was you know, a little strange. Uh, I discussed this before. I would love it if the mist changes those who come in contact with it, kind of like the fiend in WWE. With Cody, we don't see any discoloration, but rather an attitude change. With Martin, it seems like maybe we will have both. But again, they took the black thing off his nostril, so. Maybe they're not going to, I don't know. Uh, After the match, Leo Rush said the loss was just growing pains for Martin and that they would become a tag team going forward. That's gonna be a hell of a team in terms of in-ring excitement from that standpoint. And it does create a natural storyline when Darius Martin, his brother, eventually comes back. That's a good piece of booking. I really enjoyed this entire thing. Uh, Cody Rhodes, speaking of him, went to the Nightmare Academy where the students gave him shit for being late while Arn Anderson and Dustin put him through a training regimen. Some woman just kept slapping him while Cody said, hey, I'm not learning shit here. It was better than the prior stuff, I guess, other than the woman slapping him for no reason. But it's ringing completely hollow for me. It doesn't seem like he's learning, growing, or improving in any way. And all the other stuff, from Arn Anderson threatening him with a gun to the, burning his suit in a trash can, it's just not for me. It's it's kind of weak. It's it's like wrestling stuff from like not even the, the 2000s and 90s. Like, the seventies, you know, I just, I don't know. It doesn't work. Uh, and then Cody is having his third match with black next week. So we'll see if this develops more from there. Right, we're going to talk inner circle and American top team. We'll start with rampage, go to dynamite on rampage. We had a six man tag team match inner circle against men of the year and junior dos Santos, the former UFC champion. Jericho gave the first truly good face-to-face main event promo. The thing with Mark Henry that we've gotten yet on rampage. Dan Lambert got to speak twice. And just cut two med promos, nothing special. The crowd was much hotter for this than the first two matches on Rampage. JDS did an MMA brawling with Jake Hager. Not bad. Uh, Jericho distracted himself with Jorge Masvidal at ringside. JDS JDS got Jericho with a power slam for a near fall. Sammy Guevara hit a double springboard cutter, Spanish fly, and a running shooting star press in an incredible hot tag sequence. Jericho got a lion salt for a near fall. Cameras missed something that got a huge reaction. Something Sammy did, I think it was like a springboard moonsault to the outside. I mean, terrible that they missed that. Hager put Dos Santos through a table at ringside with a Uranagi. Jericho put Scorpio Sky in the walls of Jericho as Paige Van Zant distracted the referee. Masvidal ran in with his flying knee strike and Sky beat Jericho 1-2-3. The American top team folks then beat up Jericho and paraded around. And after a really long time, finally Santana and Ortiz came in and cleared the ring. This match actually over-delivered for me. I thought we were headed for disaster, but it was well-booked and we got some decent action. The finish was weak though, it definitely was, and the post-match was terrible. It seems like this is a storyline, they're just refusing to end. So I went, I guess, three stars and a B-minus, maybe that's a little generous. Sammy Guevara was the clear MVP of the match. I tweeted something about Sammy just, always being the best thing on TV whenever he's on TV. I saw Sammy retweeted it, so thank you, man. I don't know how you found it because I didn't tag you, but okay. Um, you know, glad you liked the praise. It, it was due praise and deserved praise for the new TNT champion. Um, on Dynamite, Inner Circle and America Top Team faced off. Chris Jericho insulted Van Zant straight out of Attitude Era playbook. You know, the way that they used to talk to women there, talking about her being a bitch and you know, someone's girlfriend and blah, blah, blah. Uh, Jericho made a five on five challenge, but Dan Lambert said men of the year were focused on the tag team titles and said they would fight on his terms, which he wouldn't reveal until next week. There was a lot of shit, bitch, and ass thrown out throughout the entire segment. And it was hot because the crowd popped for all of that, but it really accomplished nothing. Now, I presume what the stipulation is going to be, it seemed like they gave it away, is that they'll do a five on five match, but. If American top team wins, then Sammy's gonna use the sway he has, being TNT champion, to get Men of the Year a tag team title match. That just seemed to be like what he wants. But I don't know why the idea is that Sammy has sway just because he's a TNT champion, and why they're dying for a match when they seemingly don't deserve it. Um, but okay, that seems to be the storyline. I'm just so done with Dan Lambert and American Top Team. You have a loaded roster, tons of people. Andrade, you can't get him wrestling on TV, although I know he does have a match on Rampage. Miro is not there every week. There's plenty of other really, really good talent that we barely see on television. But Dan Lambert and all these MMA folks get to be there every week, and it does not seem to be moving the needle for them. It doesn't seem to be helping. So why do you keep doing it? Just end this damn storyline, please. All right. Uh, the AAA Tag Team Championships were on the line. Lucha Bros against Andrade's surprise team, which ended up being Las Superranas, aka the Super Frogs, which was clearly FTR when they came out in green masks and gear. The masks got ripped off after a minute. Pentagon hit a double taint stomp and the Lucha Bros combined for a Topecon Hero and Plancha outside. The crowd was completely on its feet from that moment on through the rest of the match. Tully Blanchard ran in to distract and Dax Hardwood hit Ray Phoenix with the AAA title while he was doing a moonsault. He added a brain buster and he got the one, two, three and the title change. FTR celebrated with MJF who refused to shake Andrade's hand until he was paid. He got paid. They shook hands. MJF said it was a one night only deal. At least with that backstage attack on Darby Allin, you could excuse the stupid masks that Pinnacle wore as plausible deniability, even though I hated it in the moment. This was just like nonsensical. There was good stuff in the match. It didn't last long enough. It was surprising to see the titles change that way, even if AAA titles don't hold the same importance or gravitas as AEW and WWE championships by comparison. It just all seemed weird. Why is FTR the AAA champion? Um, Why were they lent to Andrade for one night only? Andrade couldn't have found anyone in Mexico to come win the titles. It just, it didn't really work. It didn't make sense. Uh, MJF later was in the ring cutting a promo, calling out Darby for not showing up for their match, which was disingenuous as Darby was obviously not cleared in Kfabe. MJF said Darby is just like Miami, mid. By the way, I'm loving that new insult. And as someone from South Florida who's been to Miami a ton of times, Miami is absolutely overrated, I promise you. It is definitely mid, especially when compared to like New York and Chicago and other cities like that. MJF said he promised people a match, and he forced the belt to get wrong. The referee started counting. All of a sudden, Sting's music played. He showed up. MJF sacrificed Wardlow into a chair, and he ran off. I thought it was solid heel stuff across the board from MJF. I'm enjoying the MJF and Darby feud. I presume it's all going to culminate with a match at full gear, which is like three or four weeks away, and that'll obviously be a lot of fun. We had John Moxley against Wheeler Utah. Uh, Mox hit paradigm shift for a squash win in less than one minute. Then he immediately left the ring and just walked out. have sold the finish, needing help from the referee and the trainer. The presentation of this I thought was enjoyable. The idea of Mox being a wrecking ball, just running through a lot of low-card wrestlers on his way to something more meaningful is a good one. Uh, We had the Super Click against the Dark Order in a, I think it was a six-man tag team match. Yeah, it was a six-man tag team match. On Rampage, Dark Order was excited to be back together and made the challenge. Um, The Elite or Super Click, whatever, attacked Jurassic Express backstage on Dynamite and put Luchasaurus through a table. As far as the match goes, Evil Uno did a Mr. Socko mandible claw spot on Matt Jackson after pulling off his shoe and sock. The Dark Order kissed Adam Cole instead of the Young Bucks doing it, surprising him. Suddenly, all six men were legal for the remainder of the match. Dark Order hit a ton of moves on Cole and something evil from Evil Uno, resulting in a near fall saved by the Bucks. Alex Reynolds then ate a double superkick and Panama Sunrise, plus the BTE trigger and the last shot. Uh, Jungle Boy attacked after the bell and failed until grabbing a chair and putting Brandon Cutler in the snare trap. Why they needed two signatures and two finishers to beat Reynolds, I have no idea. This match had a ton of high intensity action. That was a lot of fun to watch, but there was zero psychology. I'm sure someone will probably give this something in the four star range. I have no doubt. Not for me. Uh, I'm going three stars and a B minus. Just doesn't work for me. And it did not compare to the Black Martin opener or any of the other uh, matches that I've praised. The um, Malachi Black Dante Martin match being one of them, obviously. Uh, the Brian Danielson Bobby Fish match. And of course, Brian Danielson minoro Suzuki. As I said already, the best match of the week. On Rampage, we had CM Punk against Matt Seidel. Just like the Daniel Garcia match, this was largely slow and methodical, which is odd for a Seidel match. Uh, and really, CM Punk fighting guys who are high flyers, but really, they're allowed to do some high-flying moves, but it's just not really working altogether. Um, Seidel hit some big kicks and knees on Punk for a 2.8 count. Punk came back with a neckbreaker, V-trigger, and Lariat for a near fall. Punk countered a submission into the Anaconda Vice, but Seidel got his foot on the ropes. There were counters, with Seidel hitting a lightning spiral for a 2.9 count. The crowd did not react at all and was focused on just chanting during the match, which was really weird. Finally, Punk countered a crucifix attempt into the GTS, for the one, two, three, and the fans did pop for that finish. They shook hands afterward. I just didn't like the match. Um, I was a big fan of the finish. I thought it was inventive and creative with the transition and the right winner, of course, in Punk. But the rest of the match, it really just didn't work for me. Uh, We had Ruby Soho against the Bunny on Rampage. Ruby hit a backdrop suplex and running forearm into Bunny's back for a near fall. Bunny trapped Ruby's head under a turnbuckle for a big super kick. And then German suplexed her from the ground off the middle rope in an awesome spot that got zero reaction from the crowd. Ruby countered a finisher with a backslide for the win. She was immediately attacked by Penelope Ford and then knocked out cold with brass knuckles. I actually enjoyed the totality of this match, like the action and how it was built and the psychology, more than the punk one, but the finish was very, very weak by comparison. This match would have been three minutes on the WWE main roster, so at least it got some time, but that was really the only notable thing about it. On Dynamite, we had Penelope Ford against Kiara Hogan, Normal spot, double commercial break, whole deal. The crowd was silent for the entire match. Ford hit a handstand cutter plus her Muda lock for the submission. Penelope has talent, but this wasn't the best showcase for it. Ruby attacked after the match and now Ruby versus Penelope, that's gonna be coming up. That should be a really good match whenever it happens. A couple short things also, Serena Deeb was doing an interview on Dynamite when she was attacked by Hikaru Shida and AEW just cut away as soon as the attack started. Rip Baker talked trash to Anna J for her friends getting beaten up by the elite and they brawled until being separated. And then Miro cut a promo angry at his God, asking why he had been forsaken. It was honestly great, but it didn't point to anything new for him. And let's see how many more of these we get from Miro. But AEW has gone away, it seems, from some of those 10, 15 second promos that I've criticized for a long time that I absolutely hated. And all three of these segments, technically were better than those by comparison. The two women brawl segments, as you can tell, they were basically identical. And we didn't even get to see them brawl, which was just stupid. And Miro, at least he got to cut a full promo. It was a longer segment. It wasn't 15, 30 seconds, but still it didn't necessarily go anywhere. Uh, Dynamite did go off the air though with a big announcement. And that was the AEW World Championship Eliminator Tournament, the finals of which would be contested at full gear. So it's an eight-man tournament, not dissimilar From WWE King of the Ring, I actually thought it would be larger for AEW. I was surprised at that, especially considering how big their roster is and it's all on one brand, not split across two two brands like WWE. Uh, But we'll do one side of the bracket at a time. The first side has 10 of Dark Order versus Jon Moxley and then Orange Cassidy versus Powerhouse Hobbs. To me, that is obvious, Mox and Orange Cassidy. Maybe Powerhouse Hobbs with some help from Team Taz beats Orange. I could definitely see that happening And if that goes down that way, then, okay, Mox and Powerhouse Hobbs, whether it's Orange, whether it's Hobbs, it doesn't matter. Mox is going to win that side of the bracket. The other side, Dustin Rhodes against Brian Danielson. Dustin Rhodes getting a world championship opportunity. Can you imagine? Uh, Lance Archer versus Eddie Kingston in the bottom half of that bracket. Uh, So obviously it's going to be Danielson versus Archer. Anything else wouldn't make sense. I mean, Kingston winning again, maybe, but... No, you know, it's not going to happen. Uh, so that is going to give us John Moxley against Brian Danielson in the final at full gear, which is obviously going to be an incredible match and an, a great piece of booking. If one is to assume that Hangman wins the AEW title at full gear, and I'll, I'll spoiler alert you, I am one who is going to expect that. Uh, Mox would make probably a little bit more sense as a challenger. It would be a tough call. I'm really going to have to think about that As we get closer, um, seeing what storylines are told, does Mox maybe turn heel a little bit or become a little bit more of a tweener than a pure babyface? If so, then that would continue making even more sense. But we basically have three weeks until we get there. Uh, As far as overall thoughts uh, about AEW this week, Rampage, I thought it was totally unimpressive. Dynamite, very good show. Uh, One of the better episodes of Dynamite in a couple of weeks. I haven't been that bullish on it. But we got three, you know, really solid matches on the show, the main event and the opening match being the best ones, some good storyline development, loved, as I said, the Hangman Page promo, and yeah, and the MJF promo was really good too. So there were some solid things to take away from Dynamite this week, but of course, as I said at the beginning, the best thing of the week from an in-ring wrestling standpoint and the best thing that AEW gave us was not on television. It was put on YouTube to compete with SmackDown uh, because SmackDown, you know, gave the first shot by going an extra half hour. But nevertheless, it was put on that show and it was Brian Danielson versus Minoru Suzuki. So as far as critically, from a match standpoint, AEW did have the best match. But like I said on Tuesday, and as I said earlier today on this podcast, SmackDown was better than Rampage. Critically, um, fun-wise, any category that you want to kind of put I thought SmackDown was by far a much, much, much better show. Rampage just did not hit for me. In fact, I would say almost every Rampage does not hit for me, with the exception of the CM Punk one initially, and maybe that second week was good too. But most of them, sometimes they have one really good match that hits. This week, obviously, we're going to get Pack again against Andrade for their, I guess, second match. Um, that's going to hit. It's going to be incredible, just like the first one was. So I'm sure this week I'll like it. But there's many weeks where if they don't have that one match that really nails it for me personally, Rampage is very much sometimes a throwaway show. Uh, but that was this week uh, talking NXT and AEW. I hope you guys obviously enjoyed the Halloween Havoc preview along with the full breakdown of AEW. I'm not a thousand percent percent sure what next week's schedule is going to look like when we do the AEW and NXT show. Is it going to be Wednesday? Is it going to be Thursday? I'm not 100% sure, but the next time we will talk AEW will be after the WWE show coming up on Tuesday. That will be going through the season premieres of SmackDown and Raw, along with any additional fallout we get from Crown Jewel, because you should not forget that the Getting Over Wrestling podcast will be back on Thursday this week with a very special edition of WWE Instant Analysis talking everything from Blood Money in the Sand 6. I do not know what time that show is going to be out. My expectation is anywhere between 4 and 5 p.m. Eastern, given that Crown Jewel starts at noon over in Saudi Arabia. So that is the schedule going forward. I would be remiss if I got out of here without reminding you that getting over... so please do not forget to leave those five-star ratings and reviews for us on apple podcasts and folks do not forget to follow us on twitter at getting participate in the pre and post show polls send us tweets and dms you guys know if you send them we answer them and or read them on the air i do need to get back to reading them on the air more frequently that is 100 percent on me that is my fault i will make it happen but when i don't i do answer so hey we're still getting the interaction just a little bit different but now that things are freeing up, uh, schedule-wise, there's not a pay-per-view coming up. We will get back to that. I also do aim to get interviews again here on the Getting Over Wrestling podcast. It has been a couple months since I've done that. Interviews coming soon, including someone I know you guys want to hear from. I've already talked to the appropriate party about it. I just need to get it scheduled. not going to give it away, but it's one of my favorite uh, apps going on right now in WWE. So hopefully you guys will enjoy that when it comes out for now, that is it for today. We will be back on Thursday, of course, with that WWE Crown Jewel instant analysis. But at this time, I'm just going to leave you with three final words. Bye for now.